Hello and welcome into the Gotta Be Saints podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Gotta. Join me each week as I speak with future saints about being saints. Today's podcast is titled Theology of Home with Emily Malloy. Emily, how are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing so well. So thank you for coming on. Um, For today's episode, I am speaking with Emily about her recent book, uh, Theology of the Home, and this is the fourth edition in the series, and so we'll we'll talk a little bit about that, but it's focusing on arranging the seasons. Emily, before we get diving in, can you just introduce yourself to the Gotta Be Saints audience? Yes. Well, hello. It's a joy to be here. Um, So my name, as you just heard, is Emily Malloy, and I am the food and floral design editor over at Theology of Home. And I was um, asked to write the fourth installment of this book. And so a lot of the work that you see that I do over there um, appears on the blog. So it can be a range from food recipes to different um, things about the home or, you know, liturgical life and flowers as well. Okay. Well, that's wonderful. Um, My first question for you based on that is, can you tell our audience a little bit about Theology of the Home and Mm -hmm. one, the organization, but then two, probably bring it back to even just that phrase and what it means to you and and to your, your coworkers as well? Absolutely. So Carrie and Noel started Theology of Home a few years ago with this recognition that um, you know, there is so much that women are longing for as far as being fed, you know, across the board. So, um, you know, those that are familiar with our work, um, we have four books out and they're coffee table books, but there's so much more than coffee table books, right? You can thumb through it and you can pick it up at any point and read. And there's just deep, you know, philosophical, theological um, truths and realities and meditations to be found in these books and beautiful images as well. Um, and the the big you know bulk of our work that we do is sending out these collections, and people love the morning collection that goes out, and it sort of collates a lot of different interesting reads, our own original content that we write. Um, oftentimes, it's finding really interesting readings across the board, something that um, will you know, speak to a woman as far as design, you know, something beautiful to look at, something um, philosophical or, you know, maybe politically relevant to look at, something to feed the soul as well. So it's about this whole, you know, bringing about this whole wholeness, you know, to to what it is um, that women are looking for and longing for and not finding in the culture. Mm, that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. Um, how did you end up there? How did you <laughs> end up at this organization? So I met Carrie. Um, so back in the day, I actually um, ran a kids clothing line with two friends of mine. And Carrie um, was an avid customer of ours. So I got to know her. And at one point, she did an article back before it was Theology of Home. It was the Helena Daily. And she um, did a little article on our brand. And so I got to know her through that. And um so then eventually, you know, 2020 happened and the three friends of us, we all kind of went in different directions. So we eventually said goodbye to the to the clothing company. And, you know, I was obviously very available. So then Carrie said, why don't you just come on? And, you know, I have a background in food writing. I have obviously I, I was a florist. 
you know, why don't we just use all of this? You know, there's this sort of creative hole in the brand right now of, of, of our um, organization. You know, can you plug that hole in, and, and do that work? So that was, I believe, in 2021. And so we just kind of hit the ground uh, running there. So it's been, I mean, to say it's an opportunity of a lifetime is like extremely cliche, but things are, you know, these, we have these things for a reason. It's because they're true. So, but it really is the opportunity of a lifetime to have those two women as mentors and as friends. Just, I have moments I have to pinch myself, <laughs> um, you know, that I get to be a part of something this amazing. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, okay. So let, let, let's bring it back to your, your new book. Um, this is now, as you said, the fourth installment of the series. Can you, uh, to your best ability, kind of give a little background into the series itself and then how you came to be the author of this most recent book? Yes. So there is, obviously, this is the fourth installment. There's one, two, and three. Um, The first is really just this overall introduction to this notion of theology of home, right? And you were kind of um, hinting at the question of, okay, so what does that even mean, theology of home? And it's this idea that, you know, the the home is just this backdrop of our lives, right? This is where all of our living takes place. Um, and this is where life unfolds. This is where, you know, as lay people, we are sanctified and, you know, and God's mercy, maybe raising the next generation of religious or whatever. And so it's this notion that we spend our time in our home, preparing ourselves for our eternal home. So it's just really speaking to that um, that idea, and it's broken down into just different themes. The second really digs into sort of the spirituality of the home and of homemaking, and not necessarily homemaker, you know, as thinking like only for stay-at-home moms, but anybody in any stage of life that has a home, right? You know, that which goes into making a home. And there's a beautiful feature of religious sisters in that book too. Just It's just a really amazing spread. And then the third book is At the Sea. And it's really speaking to just that rich imagery uh, biblically and everything with Our Lady as it relates to water and just beautiful meditations about water and our faith. Um, and then the book um, number four is all about the garden, which is a real extension of the home. I love it. I mean, I think just even in talking to you and you just saying, mentioning the sea and then now mentioning the garden, the imagery just pops off, uh, you know, as as it should. You know, if you think of scripture, so many uh, things take place in those places in the garden and, and of course, at the sea. And um, it's it's really beautiful. Um, so at the Gotta Be Saints podcast, as I mentioned to you before we got to talking um, and as everyone who listens to this podcast regularly knows, the focus here is on this personal calling to be a saint. Uh, each of us has this calling. Can you speak a little bit about how arranging the seasons, as as discussed in your book, um, can in fact help someone grow in holiness? Yes. So if you pick up the book, you know, it's not just about flowers on face value, right? Um, it's a big part of it. And it's this, you know, this recognition of um, all that is a gift from the Lord that comes from the garden, right? You know, the food of sustenance, the food, uh, the flowers are just this beautiful extra. But this this, so much the Holy Spirit was just really interesting. It was kind of a Flannery O'Connor type experience of like, I write to see what I know. And it was just really interesting, all these different seeds planted throughout 
my life, um, just kind of bearing fruit. And, um, you know, Carrie actually was the one that had the idea for this book. And she, um, messaged me on Christmas morning of 2021 and said, Em, it's so obvious the fourth book, cause we were throwing around different ideas of what the fourth book should be. And she said, it needs to be about flowers and your name's on the spine. And I was like, <gasps> oh my gosh, that's so terrifying. You know, I've only, I've never published anything, you know, never done, you know, you know, publishing in, in big outlets or doing anything like that. Um, but it was just really interesting. And she said, no, I think you need to chronicle the year. So I thought, okay. And, you know, it just kind of, I was so divinely inspired that it all just fell into place. And what I came to realize as I was really putting pen to paper in the beginning was just so, I mean, gosh, you know, God is our creator, right? And, and everything is so interconnected, but it was really interesting as I was writing, as I was living in the season, I was so glad that Tan gave me a longer chunk of time to write this book than we typically do, because I realized early on for the authenticity of the book, I wanted to live the seasons in real time, but I also wanted to have my fingers in the dirt and grow the flowers for the book. So, you know, that's going to take place over the seasons. I, you know, I was really tempted to just order amazing flowers from all over the globe and do all of these things, but it was just missing the point, right? The point of the book is, um, is about the seasons and about, um, you know, the attainability of, of the flowers in the garden. So, you know, I was going through and writing the season, you know, writing the different seasons and recognizing, you know, the, the, the parallels in life, right? So the, the seasons themselves and, and liturgical seasons are very cyclical, right? You know, we go through these things, you know, the saying, what goes around comes around, you know, nothing new under the sun. All these things come back each year after year while our lives are linear, right? We progress linearly in our lives, but there is a comfort in knowing that, you know, through the desolation of winter, for example, and the cold and all of that, unless you live in the Caribbean, <laughs> um, it, which I'm sure has its own, right? But then you you, rem- you know that those verdant pastures are going to come in the spring and then the heat of the summer and then that beautiful death in the winter, which all comes back around again. But also just the realization of the created world and watching those cycles and how it is directly reflected in our own spiritual lives, right? We have our own spiritual desolation, but, you know, in that time, we know consolation will come, right? And you spend your time in consolation, you know, preparing for your next desolation, right? You know, kind of harvesting all of those graces and fruits to kind of carry you through and just all, all that different imagery of looking just at the landscape and seeing how the Lord is speaking to us through every facet of the created world um, was extremely humbling to recognize, you know, that it's just all there, right? You know, the recognition that like in desolate for desolation for, you know, we're kind of at the height of winter right now, um, but the days are getting longer, right? In February, the light is stretching, the days are getting longer, darkness is going, um, you know, we're getting ready to go into Lent, but the coldness of the winter is what pulverizes the bugs, right? It gets rid of a lot of the noxious things that, can overtake a garden and just in the spiritual life, how that happens. But then also for bulbs, it needs that cold, you know, that cold shock to, to make better roots so that you have a better plant. So it's just looking and recognizing and, you know, the, the different ways of meditating upon weeding, for example, you know, you have to get rid of these weeds lest it ruins all the, all the work that you're trying to have in the garden. So, you know, the whole book is just this overall meditation of the parallel between life in the garden and our spiritual life. Oh, it's beautiful. Well, let, let's take it from a, a scriptural uh, point of view. Is there any passage or were there 
a few passages that you found yourself reflecting on the most during uh, the process of kind of working on this book or anything that really just stood out to you? So there was a seed that was really planted years ago, and it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks, was just this recognition that we were made for the garden. So just Genesis, for example, and just this notion of how many people are be, find themselves at peace when they go into the garden or thinking of people that don't, that have like a secular worldview, for example, you know, and they need to recharge. And what do they do? They go for a hike in nature, for example, you know, just all of this turning, you know, this external turning back to the landscape, back to the garden. Um, and just that notion and reminder of this is what we were made for. We were made, to, we were made to reside in the garden and be with our Lord. And, you know, looking at, you know, different imagery throughout the Bible, right? Thinking of Moses going to the top of the mountain or any of these different things of just how important the landscape is in just this overall relationship with God and how our salvation started in Gethsemane, right? You know, just this notion of it just always keeps coming back to the garden. And then one of the meditations that I always just find so moving is just Mary Magdalene finding Christ in the garden and not recognizing him and thinking he was the gardener, right? So it just keeps mm -hmm. coming back to that. And it's just extremely moving to, to recognize that, you know, there really is something to this, right? We're very moved by, by creation and by the beauty of nature. And, but there is a point in purpose. We were made for this, you know? So it's just really interesting, you know, and the one thing my husband had said at one point, you know, meditating, he said, you know, meditate upon Solomon's temple and how the imagery inside was supposed to have all been like Eden and all these painted flowers. And it looked like a garden. And I just thought, okay, he keeps bringing us back to the garden. You know, this is, this is, back to where we were supposed to be with him before the fall. Mm, it's beautiful. Well, it, it takes me back. Uh, there's a adoration chapel in Northern Kentucky. There's a little church called St. Barbara's and mm. they have uh, their little adoration chapels behind the church. And it's, it's honestly a replica of the church itself. So it's got the same, mm. you know, uh, steeple and everything. Whole point is they have glass windows on both sides and then glass um, out looking out into the garden or the forest mm. there at the church. Um, and it's beautiful. It, it was my favorite place to pray. And mm. as you're talking, uh, I'm thinking, you know, I find myself going back to that little chapel and where Jesus, of course, was present most importantly, but also the beauty of nature and, you know, mm. how in that moment, you know, there was that peace, uh, that, that could be felt it, just a, a beautiful reminder. Um, with your book, you talk about connecting and also with the liturgical calendar. You mentioned already that, you know, you kind of were asked to write this throughout all the seasons. Um, so in what ways do you see the liturgical calendar influencing really the types of flowers and the arrangements people choose for their homes? Well, I think it's, again, that sort of beautiful inner connection between all of these things. You know, you think of, you know, Advent being a very bare time and Lent being during a very bare time. And, you know, there are things that you can go out and find in nature, but it's all very austere. But then you think of Easter and for the most part, depending on how the holiday falls, that is when all these things are poking up through the earth, right? It's almost like, uh, you know, the I mentioned in the book, like these trumpet-like flowers of daffodils kind of calling, you know, calling forth 
reminding us of Christ's resurrection that he, you know, he is coming again. And there's just this beautiful imagery. And then you think of, you know, what, how the garden works, you know, throughout Advent and then, you know, going into Christmas, right? Like the berries getting more ripe and red through the season, you know, and how beautiful it is to bring those different flowers, or I'm sorry, like the, the, greenery in, you know, they really become much more robust. And then as you kind of go through ordinary time, and it's easy to kind of go through the motions, you know, the flowers um, are really abundant in the garden. And, you know, it's a really beautiful time to just kind of soak in all of that time and that beauty. And, you know, one of my favorite things to do is dry flowers. So, you know, I'm always a big advocate for, you know, in that way of, you know, spending your consolation and preparing for desolation of, dry those beautiful flowers from your garden. And then you can use them to carry you through the winter as that beautiful reminder through Advent, through Lent, you know, through these, you know, different seasons of, you know, that, that beauty is going to come again. And so I just, uh, there's, it's really beautiful imagery and, you know, the beautiful uses of color, right? The purple, um, there's just a lot of beautiful purple that can be had and the whites and reds and there's just, it's marvelous. The flowers are just a marvelous communication of love from the father. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, can you elaborate on, you, you already mentioned Genesis a little bit, but can you elaborate on the significance of the Garden of Eden as a starting point for understanding our human need for beauty and connection with the divine? We'll be right back. Interested in learning more about your faith? I invite you to check out Good Catholic. They are a digital media brand focused on sharing and teaching about the faith. From podcasts to blogs to digital series, Good Catholic has it all. Use the code in the show notes to get 20% off your order at Good Catholic. It's really interesting to think you know, we could have anything, right? And particularly when you think in the beginning, um, but how important beauty is to God in the beginning, right? So in, in creation, when we think of our, our first parents, just abundance, right? You just kind of get this prayerful imagery. You know, if you, if you try to pray in that way, you think of all of the things that are sustaining, but then you think of all of the things that are just extra, right? Like you, you just, all you have to do is look in a garden, a really beautiful garden, and you just see the the overall provisions that are there, right? It's not just the things that will sustain you, but just also this notion of how sustaining beauty is. So I had read a, a while ago, this um, beautiful thing in a, a Monty Don Book. If people are familiar with Monty Don, he's a British um, gardener who basically has the same fame and notoriety and importance to the culture as Martha Stewart, because the English really take their gardening seriously. Mm-hmm. And he, in his book, he talked about peasants. And when they would and plant their gardens, they would always make sure that they included flowers. You know, so they would save their seeds and they would do these different things that so they always made sure in their plots, you know, the little plots that they would have to always plant flowers. And that just really struck me. Um, And then there's an old, um, uh, I believe it's a Chinese proverb of, you know, if you have two pennies left in the world, you buy a loaf of bread and buy a flower, right? Just this idea that um, there's so much, you're sustained by both. And, you know, eating keeps us alive and keeps us going. But I 
have always argued that beauty makes us human. I mean, that's what makes us different from the other um, animals in the animal kingdom, right? We have this ability to um, see beauty and appreciate it. And of course, right, we're made in God's image and likeness, and he's a creator. He's the creator. So we have just this natural longing. And then you get into the realities of, you know, the transcendentals, you know, God being beauty himself. And so this recognition of looking at flowers, at the created thing, they don't will themselves, right? They, there's just so much that has to happen in order for flowers to grow and exist, right? You know, there's pestilence, there's late frosts, there's, you know, droughts, there's so many things that flowers have to overcome. But you just look at these, these beautiful representations of God's love and how they're extra, right? We don't, I mean, some flowers are edible and lovely, but they're not going to sustain you, right? That's a garnish on a plate, a pansy or something like that. Um, but you know, potatoes are beautiful in their own right. And, you know, there's other things that are absolutely beautiful, but looking back to Genesis and those roots and just those original provisions and just recognizing that not only at the beginning, you know, were there these animals to have dominion over and that will help us be sustained, um, in nourishment and same with plants, but also the flowers and that we've been there with them since the beginning. And just also this humbling reminder that like we both come from the same soil. Mm, I love that. Um, I, I didn't write this question down, but as you're talking, I, I think it's, I'm interested at least, and hopefully then, uh, the listeners would be too. I'm not a gardener myself. Uh, my wife and I just bought a house this past May. And so there's there's still time for us to to you know take on that practice. But I have multiple siblings and they have homes and they have gardens. And one thing that I have drawn from that, not only is the beauty, but it's the hard work that goes into the one you know, getting to the point where your garden um, provides for you, you know, my, my siblings all plant different vegetables and fruits. And so uh, that, of course, is a part of what they're doing. And then there's, of course, the aesthetics that come with it as well, the beauty. Um, in your book, do you address the, at all the, you know, the realities that come with gardening in both that it's, you know, one challenging, but then also, um the the fruits that come from that hard labor. Well, actually, there is one story that I had written, you know, certain things out, and then toward the end, I went back and added certain things in. So I had planted. Um, well, so first of all, to garden is to be open to failure. <laughs> I think is the thing, mm -hmm. and I think that's where you grow, right? The whole thing is risk and the entire thing is out of your control. You can only control so much and you have to, you're, you're, um, cooperating with God's creation in the entire process. But in the book, um, I speak of, um, a few different things that had happened. So, um, I had planted a few different garden beds. So I live here in Mississippi. Um, and I, I we were renting the house that's in the book and, and we have since purchased a different house because we had relocated from Pennsylvania and it was a pretty amazing place to land <laughs> to say the least, but just, it's really beautiful, expansive property and all these empty flower beds. So when, you know, I was plotting and planning and trying to figure out different things for the book of what season, you know, what certain things should grow. 
Um, we had a horrible tornado storm come through, which, you know, happens <laughs> down here. And it was in, um, it was in March and I happened to look outside the window, you know, the sirens are going off and I looked out and saw these ugly clouds and saw it coming and seven trees just were fully uprooted. And two of them landed on my garden beds where the fresh greens were just, you know, the fresh growth was just coming up um, for the flowers for this book. And I had bought all these roses and planted them and they were just completely crushed. And I was crushed and I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? You know, and there was one silver lining. Well, there were actually a few, if I had to be perfectly honest, but the the primary um, silver lining that I recognized, there was this beautiful old wisteria bush that was growing up this huge live oak tree that I was just desperate to cut after the, you know, because we had rented this house for a few years, but I couldn't access it. It was too high. And I remember thinking, gosh, it would be so great to cut some of that wisteria and use it in the book, but I can't reach it. So it's not meant to be. And so one of the trees that came down was the one that had all of the wisteria growing on it. So I went out and took images of the trees on the flower beds and, and it's in the book. And I kind of write this, this reflection of just, you know, uh, recognizing failure, right. And just that fear, but then also recognizing had those trees not fallen, I wouldn't have had access to that wisteria. That was so beautiful. Fast forward a few months, even though everything looked, com- I lost a lot <laughs> in, in that, but the roses bloomed right at the end. Right. So it didn't bloom all summer. Um, we're getting into the fall and everything is wrapping up and we're coming to really the end because the, um, my manuscript was due on the feast of Therese, which was not lost on me, the little flower I thought, and it had been moved. It was supposed to be Halloween and it got bumped up to her feast day. And I thought, okay, I hear you, Lord. And really right at the end, all of a sudden the rose roses started blooming. And I thought, what mercy, right? And it was just all in his timing. And, um, Another thing I write about in the book is this really beautiful story. So there's a rose that is um, people love down here. So where we live in Mississippi is very close to um, New Orleans. Yeah, you know, where I live in Natchez, and it's um, right over the border from Louisiana, but not far from Baton Rouge and New Orleans. And um, when Katrina happened, as you know, the whole a, a good majority of that entire region was under 20 feet of salt water everything died, all the vegetation. There was this one woman that was a big gardener and a big um, curator of roses. So she had, I believe the story was like 200 plus roses, all decimated except for this one variety of rose. And so it's this big symbol of hope. So I write about it in September and um, people have clippings. I have a clipping and it's this big growing climbing rose, but you figure 20 feet of salt water should decimate anything, but this row survived. And it's this huge symbol of hope and pride in this area that everybody has the Peggy Martin Rose and, you know, and it was named for the woman because it was just this kind of obscure clipping that she had received from somebody else that was kind of like a hybrid of different, you know, pollinated, you know, cross-pollination type things. And, um, and it survived. So there's just, you know, and, and as I had spoken to earlier, you just look at sort of the resilience of the garden given all that it goes through in the course of the year, you know, and we can draw those realities in it of, of God and his promise throughout all of that failure or trial. Mm. 
It's beautiful. Well, thank you. Um, all right, I have a few more questions for you, but the the one I want to ask you now is, what advice would you give someone who wants to incorporate more flowers into their home, but really feels intimidated or just unsure of where to start? <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's the flowers do all the work, so that's the one thing to keep in mind. Um, they do all of the work and all that you do is you're basically putting it in water. Um, but it can feel intimidating at first, um, particularly if you want to undertake growing your own flowers. I think the best thing to do, and it was advice that my old boss had given me years ago when I started um, in the flower shop was, I mean, you you look at a pack of seeds. What is that? A $2.99 investment for a certain amount of seeds. So you turn over some dirt when when the, the you know chance of frost has passed and you just get a handful of seeds and you throw it and you kind of pack it down and you see what happens right and that's a really small investment and you will get a really big return and then the beauty from that is each flower if you leave them on the stem then go to seed and each flower themselves you think of a hundredfold more flowers that you can get from each of those seeds of the single flower but just recognizing that even just bringing in that one flower to your home just really changes everything. And it's extremely affecting when you think of just the beauty of your child running around outside and grabbing a dandelion or grabbing, you know, a red clover little, you know, bloom and bringing it to you and bringing that in and putting it in the bud vase is just such a powerful thing. It doesn't have to be grand. You know, it's wonderful to do the big grand things. It's fun. It, it's a, a most amazing outlet. And I encourage everybody to, you know, as far as art forms go and mediums, flowers are just extremely accessible, right? You're not buying paints and you're not making these big messes. But then there is that reality that it is a short-lived arrangement. It's a short-lived gift, but it forces you also to live in the present, right? So, mm. you know, you have the painting and it's on the wall and there are that there is that benefit, right? It's always there. You get to always enjoy it. But there's something about being recollected in the present that having, you know, a fleeting beauty can do, right? Like a meal, you know, we go through all of this preparation for a meal that's just going to be consumed or, you know, doing different any, any host of different things that we do, you do your hair, you do your makeup, you, you know, um, any, any little act of beauty that we will undergo is fleeting. And, but so much more so when you're bringing God's creation inside. Mm, I like it. And, and any men who are listening to this podcast, just remember your wife will never be mad if you bring home flowers or, or if you plant them. Um, even better. I'm more of an advocate for that. Bring home a rose bush. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. Well, this has been wonderful, Emily. I've really enjoyed getting to talk to you. I, I want to give you a chance. Where can someone get the book and where can someone find you? Absolutely. So the book is available at tanbooks.com. Um, I know it's on back order, which hopefully it'll be available again soon. I know there are still some copies available at theologyofhome.com at our mercantile where we carry um, some really great items. Um, I am always writing over at Theology of Home, so you can find me over there. Um, I'm on Instagram at the Emily Malloy. I have a website, uh, emilymalloy.me. And sometimes you'll find me elsewhere over at National Catholic Register or different places. So um, I'm easy to find, easy to source. 
And with these photos that you post on Instagram, are you the one taking those photos? I am. Yes. All right. What yes. what kind of camera are we using for these? So photos? it's actually it's right here. <laughs> it's a Canon. <laughs> um, so it's a it's my pride and joy. Um, I have her right here. Um, so it's the 6D. So a little bit older, um, but I love her. And I actually still shoot with a macro lens from my food writing days. And, um, you know, I've tried other lenses, but I just, there's just something about, um, the way that you're able to kind of focus in using that lens, um, that just, I don't know, it speaks to me (laughs) tremendously. So that's what I use to shoot the book. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I did the, the photography for the book and, um, yeah. So everywhere else it's, yeah, those are my images as well. Well, they're beautiful. Um, thank you. Any final thoughts, anything that you want to add to what we've talked about? I do have two final questions that have nothing Mm -hmm. to do with what we've talked about so far. So I want to give you that, uh, that opportunity. Yeah. I would just say, you know, we're coming up on Lent. Um, I think things that are extremely important is to unplug uh, as much as you can and to just go outside and encounter God. You know, if you live in the city, look for a botanical garden or, you know, a national park, or, you know, if you live in the country, like I do on a dead end road, just go for a walk on your road. Um, Just spend that time outside unplugged and present and just bask in just this created world that God made for you, but live in the, just that awe and wonder that he sees you as that pinnacle of creation. You know, you see the mountains, you see these different things and, and you're it, you're who he died for. Um, not that rose, not that bird, not that flower. And it's extremely humbling. That's beautiful. All right. Now I actually have three questions for you. (laughs) Okay. Um, what is, what is your favorite flower currently? Yeah. So that's kind of, I will never get over a David Austin rose. So gentlemen go online and get your lady, your mother, your sister, um, anybody that's in your life, even yourself, actually, no gentlemen, get it for yourself, a David Austin rose bush. Um, but it always comes back to hellebores for me. The Lenten rose, um, blooms in the winter. So beautiful. So I would say your, your gardening homework is David Austin roses and hellebores. They are just the two most beautiful flowers, I think. And well, okay. Nope. We're going to stop there. I, I could, I'll rattle off 20 (laughs) flowers, but we're sticking to two. All right. Well, that's that's beautiful. Um, all right. This these are the two questions I ask every guest who who comes on the show. Firstly, who is on your Mount Rushmore of saints? Oh, so <laughs> Saint Andre Bissette is oh, one. he's he's one of the few saints that I look at him and he's looking back at me. It just kind of completely blows my mind. Um Goodness, there's just it's like picking a favorite star in the sky. Oh my gosh. Um yeah, you know, we're gonna keep it simple. I think it's just gonna be St. Andre Bissette and and St. Joseph and Mary Magdalene. Those three, I think, are just um particular friends of mine um that just are there. You know, that they, they just are with me. I like it. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. St. Andre Bissette's looking at St. Joseph, so. I know, exactly. Oh, my gosh. perfect sense. Yes. 
Um, all right, last question for you. One day, God willing, you're going to be a saint yourself. What are you going to be the patron saint of? Oh my gosh, hot mess. <laughs> hot mess <laughs> of just bombs going off of pure chaos. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, that's why flowers mean so much to me because at any given moment, it looks like a hurricane has gone off in my house or a bomb or whatever, but there's always little flowers and it's like, okay, this is just, okay. I've got four little souls and any mess I make or any, any mess I clean up, it's just going to happen again. So there's that detachment. Here's, you know, a pretty thing of daisies. Um, the patron saint of like mama tried, right? (laughs) We're all haggard song. Mama tried. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you so much, Emily. Thank this was you. a wonderful conversation. It was great to get to talk to you and uh, just uh, hear about your book and and just connecting, you know, theology, the home, and talking about flowers as well. So I, I hope that you enjoyed getting to chat and get to share this. Absolutely. And to anyone who's at home, uh, thank you for listening. If you like today's podcast, make sure to subscribe and give us five stars. Um, check the show notes so you can see where to purchase Emily's book. Um, have a great day and God bless. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to subscribe and check out goodcatholic.com for more details.